The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, we're headed for the unicorn staples. In the roller coaster year that was 2020, some businesses managed to survive and even thrive amid the pandemic. It's the debut of Squawk's Billion Dollar Plus Club series. Clavio CEO Andrew Bialecki on how his company quintupled its valuation over the last 10 months and how he's helping brick and mortar businesses pivot for survival. Between March and the end of the year, the number of customers, the number of brands uh, building on Clavio doubled. Chinese regulators are turning the heat up on the world's biggest fintech firm, Alibaba's Ant Group. If you look at the financial technology companies here, the payment systems, they're going around the regulated banks, and, and that's it's not necessarily well received uh, in China at this point. Plus, 11th hour changes to the American stimulus, and have you made all your holiday returns yet? CNBC's Frank Holland says a lot of shoppers have, but they're not the returns you'd expect. Sometimes when you get it home, it's just like, eh, it doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. It doesn't fit the way I thought it was going to fit. Joe, I know that you're thinking the furniture and underwear and intimates, same problem. It's Monday, December 28th, 2020. I'm told, and you can check my math, that 2020 ends this week. We made it. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Kernan, Mike Santoli, Becky and Andrew are off today. Mike, good morning. Uh, how how morning. are you? How did, would you get, did Santa bring you everything you wanted? Or? Yeah, no complaints. No complaints this year. What do we want when yeah. you get to, to where we have everything? A little, little bit of time alone. I don't know. Underwear. <laughs> that was Underwear. Tough, although that's not what we wanted after this year. So, we'll see. you know, it, it was tough to come up with a list. But uh, I guess, uh, I guess I'm, in, I'm in good shape not having any, uh, any regrets on it. President Trump signing that pandemic aid bill, government funding package into law uh, last night, just a few days after suggesting he could veto the bill. Diana Olick joins us now with more to talk about this. Uh, I'm told, and you can check my math, Diana, that 2020 ends this week. Do you know that? Is that can you can <laughs> Thank you? Thank goodness. Can, can you Thank confirm goodness. that? I, I can that confirm that. I can this absolutely week we confirm made it. that. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we're limping along into the end of it, but we we made it. The market's doing pretty well anyway, and this this isn't hurting. This latest news this should help a lot of people, but obviously not as much as maybe uh, some people would have wanted. Yeah, that's right, Joe. Look, it was an 11th hour move that came as unexpectedly as President Trump's original criticism of the bill, which happened just after it was passed last Tuesday in Congress. And while the $900 billion in pandemic relief is now law, it's not quite over yet. The president's beef had been over stimulus checks to individuals making up to $75,000 a year. The agreement was $600, but after the bill was passed, Trump suddenly tweeted a scathing criticism and demanded $2,000 checks. There will now be a vote on that increase in the House today, and then the Senate could consider it Tuesday. In a statement last night, the president wrote, I have told Congress that I want far less wasteful spending and more money going to the American people in the form of $2,000 checks per adult 
and 600 per child. But in a response to the bill signing, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell last night made no mention of a potential new vote. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, however, made something of a dare, tweeting, the House will pass a bill to give Americans $2,000 checks, then I will move to pass it in the Senate. No Democrats will object. Will Senate Republicans? And the answer to that, Joe, still to come, of course. That's interesting. So the, the, uh, a, a nice meeting of the minds between uh, uh, Senator Schumer and President Trump. Uh, that's that's kind of weird. Um, would be, that's I, I don't, one. you know, it, it, at this point, Diana, we, we've seen bills going back years and years, and you can, you can always find these weird provisions in there for things that are just so hard to understand that somebody obviously has some reason for including it. And same with this bill. I, you know, they, the people that are against some of the pork, you know, they, they can list these things. And some of them are just like, you, you can't even figure out why they're in there. Do you think that that's just, we just got to get used to that? That's just the ways of Washington. That's the way right. sausage is made. Is that why it's called pork? Because it's like, yeah, um, that's exactly. Like watching, that is precisely why it's sausage get made. Yeah, yeah Joe, I, I've been in Washington over 20 years now, and you see these bills, and they are chock full of all kinds of things. The headline numbers are the ones that we're looking at, you know, the stimulus, et cetera, the relief for renters, which, of course, I'm interested in. But there's always tons of extra stuff in it, and that is precisely why they call it pork, and that's why you get so much debate and so much controversy over them. Yeah, we started, we brought out, a, we used to have flying pigs on Squawk Box a lot. I didn't know how much video that we have, but we brought them back. You probably remember them. We brought them back. We may need to. Uh, I do. To, we may need to bring that, that segment back. Um, I don't know. I, I was going to say since, you know, we may be going, uh, no, I'm not even, I'm not going to get into that. Both sides do it. So I'm not going to say that <laughs> next year there could be even more. But anyway, uh, it's not going to do it. Not going to do it. Not, not going to do it. And I'm going to be very, very, that's my New Year's resolution. It's like, just like you. It's like this. Thank you. Tis the season for returns. The pandemic is changing the way shoppers send items back, and it's impacting retailers' post-holiday business. Frank Holland joins us now with more. Hey, Frank. Hey, good morning, Melissa. Well, returns on the day after Christmas, they were 230% higher than the average in 2020. That's according to online return firm Returnly. A new report from them, it makes a case that December 26th is now the busiest day of the year for returns, as opposed to that conventional wisdom that it's a day in January. Also, different categories seeing really a dramatic shift in buying and also returning habits. For example, underwear and intimates, seeing a 134% increase in returns year over year from Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales. Furniture, up 36%. So these are categories where customers, they're still kind of adjusting to shopping online, according to the CEO of Returnly, his research also shows that work from home is a major factor in the nearly 100% increase in return times. Instead of being five to 10 days to return the items, shoppers are now taking up to 20 days to return merchandise. You know, they change their habits. They no longer go to the office. So they no longer commute and run these errands as they go to work. So according to CBRE, the average return loses almost 60% of its value when you send it back because of the time it takes to get back on the shelf and the logistics cost. But Returnly says this year, direct-to-consumer brands think all birds in third love. They've actually increased repeat buyers and gained market share because their reverse logistics are more efficient and their returns are faster. Melissa, back over to you. This year, what's a little different also, Frank, is that goods that are returned need to be quarantined and or sanitized. And I'm thinking of that big spike that, that you cited in returns of underwear, 
and intimates. I would hope that they are quarantined and or sanitized. Um, but that certainly changes the game for the retailers in terms of what they're able to sell again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a little harder to pick out things that are that particular online. Furniture is another thing. Just because you, you see the measurements online, it doesn't mean it's going to fit just right in your house. And sometimes when you get it home, it's just like, eh, it doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. It doesn't fit the way I thought it was going to fit. Mm. <laughs> Joe, I, Joe, I know that you're thinking the furniture and, and underwear and intimates, same problem. No, no. I, I was thinking that, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe if you don't so, like something because you don't like the style is one thing. But if you've tried it on for a while and then you're sending it back, Frank, that's the, you know. Then they Joe, you're it. tipping your hand. Just because you buy underwear online and send it back and try it on doesn't mean the rest of us do. Okay. Well, that's, you, good. that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That, to that know. seems like more of a personal preference thing. I don't own a pair of underwear that, that, that you would refer to as intimate. I do not. <laughs> I, I, I don't, By nature. Those... <laughs> By nature. It is intimate, Joe. Think about oh. it. Yes. Oh. Like big saggy boxers? They're just, uh, Santoli, you got anything intimate? I got nothing to add in this conversation, actually, whatsoever. (laughs) Smart man. Shares of Alibaba fell nearly 8% in Hong Kong overnight. The stock was down about 8% in the previous session last Thursday as well, after Chinese regulators announced a probe into monopolistic behavior. Other Chinese tech firms, including Tencent and SMIC, also fell sharply overnight, Melissa. This is part of the reason why Baba shares fell. Chinese regulators ordering Ant Group to comply with regulatory requirements and rectify its businesses. China's central bank summoned Ant executives on Saturday and ordered them to bring their businesses into compliance with regulators and to switch their focus back to the payments business. In a statement, the central bank said Ant Group lacked sound governance, defied regulatory compliance requirements, and engaged in regulatory arbitrage. It also said Ant Group used its market position to exclude rivals and hurt the rights and interests of consumers. Consumers. Chinese regulators halted Ant's IPO last month over regulatory issues. And, Mike, of course, that's when we saw Baba shares really fall precipitously. It's, it's worth reminding viewers out there that Baba owns about 33 percent in Ant. And so these stories are very intertwined. And maybe no coincidence also that Alibaba announced an increase to their buyback program, hoping maybe to offset some of these concerns. And yet we did see the shares fall pretty precipitously over, over the past two sessions. Yeah, obviously their, their ambitions being curtailed. They have to answer to the, to the government. So uh, make use of, uh, of the free cash flow as you, uh, as you can and, uh, and buy back shares. We'll see uh, how, deep, uh, how deep that decline goes today. The, uh, the, 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 they got on the wrong side of somebody. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's very apparent. It, you know, whenever we, many times in the past when we translate uh, Chinese into in the English. Maybe it's not always right, but you read that line that, that the regulators accused Ant of despising regulations. I just wonder if that is that the perfect word for what I, I can see how they would say that. I don't know. How would we say it here without using the word despise? There's a lot of companies that don't like regulations, yeah. that, that chafe under sure. regulations. But it's just it, the way that I read it. It's like, oh, wow. It, that's a, but what, what, where's, what's the behind-the-scenes story here? When you here? have Jack Ma, way back when the Ant Financial IPO was initially scrapped, it was traced back to comments that Jack Ma made publicly about the central bank and about the Chinese government stifling uh, regulation, uh, stifling innovation, uh, not regulation, stifling innovation with regulation. And that really sort of raised the, you know, the ire of the, regula- of the regulators. Yeah, and the other, I mean, p- people have also observed that Ant Financial, its business has the potential for just 
kind of circumventing or transcending, you know, banking regulations and government. Just if you look at the, the financial technology companies here, the payment systems, they're going around the regulated banks, and, and that's it's not necessarily well received uh, in China at this point. Right. Well, the government wants to, to do the digital currency. That was an interesting right. piece there, too, that mm -hmm. uh, with no fees. Yeah. I'm not sure that's it still, it still seems like it's fiat currency, though, doesn't it? It's based on the underlying uh, yuan. So, I don't know, is that digital? I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Pretty much most money is digital, no matter where it comes from. But uh, we can we can talk yeah. about what's pure and what's not, I guess, uh, over time. But also the irony here is, you know, we were talking for how long about how, you know, China opposes uh, and, and places restrictions on U.S. tech firms mm -hmm. in China. Um, clearly, it's not just about uh, where the companies come from. It's, it's the activities themselves and having control over them. And once upon a time, there was a thought that these companies were, were state champions, right? Yeah. That they were always be backed by the Chinese government. Right. Uh, and that's one reason why you could safe, quote unquote, safely invest in them. Uh, but here we are, the yeah. Chinese crackdown causing this massive tumble in Alibaba shares. Yeah. I mean, if you love regulation, I think communism is for you. You know what I mean? I mean, you can... Uh, It'd be nice to just like really just own everything. Just oh, that that was yeah. that is what they did. Okay. Now, anyway, never mind. They, uh, they have command and control, as they said. <laughs> so uh. exactly. Next on Squawk Pod, we're headed for unicorn territory. One private company's Series C fundraise quintupled its valuation during the pandemic. How Clavio did it, and how it's helping brick and mortar businesses pivot in a pandemic-stricken world with CEO Andrew Bialecki and one of his investors, partner at Excel, Ping Lee. If you look at the trends behind e-commerce, they've been very durable and lasting for a long period of time already. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. 2020 has been a painful year for so many businesses, but some have managed to survive and even thrive amid the tumult. Some tech-focused startups in particular have managed to break into unicorn territory despite the pandemic. Unicorn is Wall Street and Silicon Valley speak for a private company that's valued at a billion dollars or more. 2020's newest unicorns, the ones that hit those larger-than-life valuations during the last nine to 10 months, are now part of a cohort that we at CNBC are calling the Billion Dollar Plus Club. One of those, and in fact, the first of four we'll be bringing to you both on our broadcast and here on Squawk Pod this week, is Clavio. It's a marketing automation platform, not unlike MailChimp, and it's helped many struggling consumer-facing businesses pivot to online commerce after they were forced to close brick-and-mortar locations. Clavio is eight years old, and it's been growing steadily since founder Andrew Bialecki got things started. At the beginning of 2020, the company was valued at $800 million, but by November, they'd closed a $200 million Series C round, and their valuation jumped to nearly $4.2 billion. One of the lead investors in that round, Excel. Excel is a venture capital firm that's backed huge players in tech, like Slack, Facebook, Etsy, Dropbox. 
Spotify, they were all in Excel's portfolio. Ping Lee, partner at the firm, led Excel's investment in Clavio. He's an early stage investor, but one of his noteworthy investments is Cloudera. It's a software company that was once also valued at over $4 billion in the private market. Cloudera eventually went public via IPO in 2017. Ping joined Andrew Bialecki, founder and CEO of Clavio, on our TV broadcast this morning. Here's Melissa Lee kicking off that conversation. Gentlemen, great to have you with us. Andrew, I'll start with you. You started the year at an $800 million valuation, and now you're $4.15 billion or so, and you founded the company back in 2012. How much, can you give us an idea of how much business has accelerated during the pandemic uh, compared to years past? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, when we started the year, uh, you know, around March, we weren't sure what was going to happen. But uh, between March and the end of the year, uh, the number of customers, the number of brands uh, building on Clavio doubled. Um, so immediately we saw thousands of businesses a day signing up, uh, either bringing their uh, offline business online or just accelerating uh, e-commerce. Um, you know, the number one metric we look at is the amount of sales that are generated through our platform. Uh, and that went from about $5 billion in 2019 to over $15 billion this year. So it tripled. Wow. And uh, Ping, when you when you take a look at Clavio, when you when you, you know, were part of that round in November, I'm wondering how your view of the business changed in November versus, say, you know, if you took a look at the business a year ago, is this acceleration? Is that a massive part of the reason why? Or is it just the total addressable market? Because I would imagine the total addressable market had been fairly consistent in that there was always a belief that a lot of the bricks and mortar stores would eventually have to go online. It's just the pandemic accelerated this. That's exactly right. I, Melissa, if you look at the trends behind e-commerce, they've been very durable and lasting for a long period of time already. So when we looked at Clavio, we were believers in the e-commerce market. We saw how consumers and merchants want to connect directly. So a lot of these trends were already in place. COVID surely had an acceleration, uh, definitely drove more merchants online than before. But the trend is very durable in our opinion. Andrew, what's the sales pitch to uh, brick and mortar folks out there who want to bring their business online? I imagine some of them try to do it on their own. They may try other platforms. Um, but what does Clavio offer them? Yeah, so I mean, it's this, it, we want to help uh, any business take the same personalized experience you'd get when you walk into a store and you get to talk to a real person, um, but bring that online. So that's what we do. We help businesses take all their data and then use that data to create personalized experiences that mimic uh, you know, the same experience you get talking to someone, but now you get to do it at internet scale. So we see lots of businesses that used to have very localized footprints. Um, now their customer base can be you know, across the country or even around the world. Is part of the pitch, Andrew, trying to get them to do the Clavio route as opposed to becoming a third-party seller on a platform like an Amazon or a Walmart? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, the first era of the Internet has been about more selling through marketplaces. Um, you know, the technology just wasn't there. Um, you know, something that we're really excited about is giving uh, retailers, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, um, e-commerce merchants, the power to uh, use their data, what they know about their customers, all that digital data, uh, and build it into personalized experiences. So we're giving them a lot of the same technology those marketplaces have built in, um, but now they get to white label it. They get to put it behind their brand, and they have a lot more flexibility uh, you know, to show off their unique personality. Ping, what sorts of investments have you made during the pandemic, and, and has the type of investment changed at all because of it? Not really. Uh, if we look at our across our portfolio, we've had close to uh, a dozen companies that hit their billion-dollar-plus club, as you would say. And most of those companies are riding trends that were pre-existing pre-COVID, frankly. They were either they're digital transformation companies that were leveraging cloud computing, cybersecurity, 
uh, or collaboration companies that obviously accelerated due to the work from home movement. So a lot of the trends that we're investing in pre-COVID are still very doable now. We continue to invest behind them. Obviously, COVID, as you said earlier, accelerated and increased the market size. But we do think these trends will happen even you know, when COVID ends, hopefully soon, we go back to a hybrid environment. Are there exits that you're taking a look at and, and sort of pulling forward ping because of the pandemic and because of the premium given to certain kinds of company companies, whether it be cybersecurity or, or work from home type companies? Not really. I think a lot of our companies uh, are focused on building the business and the fundamentals. Clearly, we're in a very good exit market environment right now. So if there's a need for liquidity and there's need for capital, they'll, they'll exit the, the markets right now. But I don't think there's a real drive to, to force things out before they're ready. Speaking of exits, Andrew, I'm curious, are you considering an IPO or, or do you think about that day? Do you take a look at the different options that are available uh, to startups, whether it be selling themselves to SPACs or direct listing that cut out the middlemen on the NYSC? I mean, do you, are you looking at that right now? Uh, it's not something we're super focused on right now. Um, one of the reasons we liked uh, paying sell and all of our investors is they're very long term focused. Uh, you know, we'll be a public company someday. Um, but uh, certainly, I mean, part of Clavio's founding was, uh, you know, we bootstrapped our business, raised very little outside capital to give us as much optionality as possible. So uh, something like a direct listing versus a traditional IPO, uh, that's definitely something we'll think about in the future. Yeah. And, and Ping, same question to you in terms of the kinds of exits you, you foresee for your portfolio companies. Does it necessarily mean a big IPO with the confetti falling on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ? You know, I think uh, it's a very interesting time for, for uh, the public markets, as you know. Uh, our companies are evaluating SPACs or looking at uh, direct listings, which have evolved significantly. We're involved in a lot of the early ones. So I, I think we're exploring all the options. It, it really depends on the portfolio company. What's the right avenue to go public? I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. All right. Guys, great to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. Squawk Pod will be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, another day, another unicorn. Tuesday's highlight, Message Bird, the $3 billion company taking on Twilio. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Thank you. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.